We acknowledge with respect the Onondaga Nation, firekeepers of the Haudenosaunee, the indigenous people on whose land Syracuse University now stands. May the information you glean from this podcast motivate you to uphold indigenous values, protect Mother Earth, and honor indigenous treaties. In the face of white supremacy and the doctrine of discovery, what do we take away when we learn about it? We take away this veil of darkness around these conquering practices. How do we look forward and promise a better life? Welcome to the Doctrine of Christian Discovery. I'm Tanner Randall, your host from Good Faith Media. We're producing this podcast at the Religious Origins of White Supremacy Conference in December of 2023 at Syracuse University in New York. This year is particularly special because it's the 100th anniversary of Johnson v. McIntosh, the Supreme Court proceeding that installed the framework of the doctrine of discovery within American government. We will be talking about the different ramifications of the doctrine of discovery and how it led to indigenous values and land being stolen, as well as white supremacy and the general idea of revitalized indigenous culture. This week, we've attempted to pull the curtains back on the doctrine of Christian discovery. At the Religious Origins of White Supremacy Conference at Syracuse University, we discuss white nationalism, how the doctrine of discovery inflates Christian nationalism, and what happens internationally when evil powers take hold and try to affect indigenous rights. I'll take with me after this conference the lasting messages passed on by our guests and stories of resilience. But what I'll do in my own actions after this conference, I'll pay more attention to all of the effects of the doctrine of discovery, question everything, and make sure to look at the international problems as well as our own. Because if the tide rises, all ships float higher. We would like to thank our sponsors who made this podcast possible. Many thanks to the Henry Luce Foundation, Syracuse University, Indigenous Values Initiative, American Indian Law Alliance, American Indian Community House, Good Faith Media, Tanatiera, and Towards Our Common Public Life. We appreciate your support. I'm Tanner Randall with Good Faith Media. Our guest on today's episode is the CEO of Good Faith Media, Dr. Mitch Randall. Uh, Dr. Randall is an enrolled citizen of the Muscogee Creek Nation, and he's also my dad, um, for better or worse. Um, You can make the judgments on his parenting throughout this podcast. Hi, I'm here with Dr. Mitch Randall, uh, the CEO of one of our sponsors, Good Faith Media. Uh, Mitch, how are you? Doing well. It's good to be here. Um, So this weekend, we've been at the Doctrine of Discovery Conference in Syracuse, uh, New York, and it's been giving a lot of helpful information, but I think that we've heard a lot of extremely daunting and historical problems uh, that are happening around the world, and we've learned a lot about those issues. Uh, what, what are you kind of taking away from the analysis of this weekend of 
a lot of the issues we're facing today are because of a document written 600 years ago. How do you kind of conceptualize that? Well, it's quite daunting, to be frank with you. Um, before I kind of launch into that, I do want to thank Adam Brett and Phil Arnold, uh, who invited Good Faith Media to be at this conference and to help produce this podcast, The Doctrine of Christian Discovery. It has been a remarkable experience and really appreciate uh, the staff here at Syracuse, as well as everybody involved in the conference to help us put on this uh, this podcast. So I just want to give them a, a thank you before we begin. But going back to your question, um, I said it was daunting, and I think it really is, because as we have heard in a lot of the interviews that you have conducted over the weekend, it is hard to fathom that a document written 500 years ago still has as much influence as it does in our culture and society. It is so ingrained in the framework of our constitution, our uh, justice system, our social fabric, that we don't even recognize it at times. But then all of a sudden, someone lifts the veil from your face and you begin to see the doctrine of discovery everywhere and how much influence it, it has actually had, not only here in the United States, but globally. So my first reaction, it's just really daunting and overwhelming to think this one document written over 500 years ago has had so much influence over our culture. Mm. And while we heard these stories, I found myself thinking about what other documents are even close to that influence, right? And I think that you can look at collections of stories that may have had similar influence, like the Bible or um, the Quran or documents of that nature. Sure. But I think the only thing that even comes close to it would be like the Magna Carta or something like that that has right. uh, shown us through the Enlightenment period. But even in that case, those serve for some kind of productive purpose, at least in common uh nomenclature they are thought of as positive documents. The doctrine of discovery seems to lurk in the darkness. And like you said, we're taking off that veil, that shadow um, that surrounds it and trying to bring it out to the light. And it can definitely be an overstimulating realization. Um, but we did hear a lot of really interesting efforts and important efforts from some of our guests about how to combat some of these historical issues. So I kind of want to ask you a question because, of course, the purpose of conference is to learn something new. It's not a shame to not have any knowledge of a problem. You always have to learn it somewhere. So I, I'm just kind of curious, what's something that you did not kind of know coming into this weekend or was presented in a different way that you've not thought about it before um, during this conference? Well, a lot of the discussions surrounding case law uh, I was unfamiliar with, and this conference centers, uh, of course, on Johnson v. McIntosh. So, I mean, from that one piece of legislation, what I, you know, really was reinforced to me about that case was how little representation indigenous people have had in the legal system and how our judicial system is heavily skewed to this concept of doctrine of discovery, uh, and that because the federal government claims ownership that the indigenous people who were here 
before, uh, you know, the colonists have no rights to the land that they actually possessed. They're treated as simply a conquered people. That has resonated the entire weekend. Mm-hmm. Now, I think certainly the, the part of Johnson v. McIntosh that is non-Native-centered at all is quite striking. Like, right. the subject matter does involve Indigenous lands, but there's not a single Indigenous person in the room to uh, present their opinion. Right, exactly. It, which is really odd because you and I come from the McIntosh family of mm. Muscogee Creeks, and right. so when I first heard about the case, I was like, oh, McIntosh is a Native exactly. name, yeah. uh, which is my own personal biases, but kind of learning and being brought to light on that idea was mm. pretty profound. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, I think, And then also, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but another thing that I learned, and it really was reinforced, even though I had kind of a basic understanding of it, is how influential the doctrine of discovery uh, has been utilized globally. And, you know, we talked to Professor Miller early on, and he talked about, how Doctrine of Discovery was used in the colonization of Africa. And then we talked to Yashaves and others about how it's been utilized in Brazil. Um, you know, this really not only is you, it's not unique to the United States. We have unique problems in the United States with our indigenous cultures, but this is a global problem and how the Doctrine of Discovery has been codified and utilized for simple land grabbing across the world and the oppression of indigenous peoples. Mm -hmm. I definitely think there are three major areas of study that I'm going to look into following this conference. Um, We spoke to Yves Reyes-Aguirre about uh, femicide on the southern border. Oh, yeah. And that's something I'm going to go research because you, I, something that is just starting to come to light is the missing and murdered indigenous women cases across the country, specifically in the northern states and Canada. But often when you have that added notion of migrants or people that may not have U.S. citizenship, the popular culture tends not to pay attention um, because for whatever reason, they don't deem it as important if they're not a part of, quote-unquote, our team. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something I'm going to research after this conference just because it's extremely important um, to bring light to issue, particularly surrounding, surrounding women and uh, women who are in situations where they can be susceptible to danger. Yeah. Um and so that that's one thing. And then also the religious racism that we heard about in yeah, Brazil. Right? That's yeah. something I didn't know about. And then uh, I think the last thing that I want to leave off with is the 10 aspects of the Doctrine of Discovery found within Johnson mm-hmm. v. McIntosh that uh, Dr. Miller talked about. And I think that you know being able to take those principles and apply them to other nations from an indigenous perspective, looking at those communities and not the actions of the oppressor or saying that, you know, this is the system the English used, this is the system that the Spanish used or the Portuguese, but looking into these isolated communities and saying, this is what happened in this community by this person, uh, making them seem more of a destroyer of communities and not a builder of empires. Mm. So I'm kind of curious as to, you know, I know that you were commenting on femicide um, when we first started talking about it or religious racism. I know those are concepts that are rather new to us. Uh, Tell me about 
what you thought when you first heard about those problems and especially the personal stories that we uh, bared witness to? Yeah, I mean, they're absolutely heart-wrenching uh, and uh, heart-wrenching, but also infuriating that that still takes place today in the 21st century. A lot of times when we study indigenous issues and cultures, we often get lost in the history uh, of these issues because uh, it's so problematic when we talk about the doctrine of discovery written 500 years ago and its implementation in places like Africa, South America, and here in the United States. And so it's, we often get lost in that historic na historical narrative, but we mustn't forget that the ramifications of the doctrine of Christian discovery are still prevalent today. And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. A lot of times we are asked, why do these issues still matter today? Because doctrine of discovery, as we've already alluded to, was written over 500 years ago to, you know, slavery is something of the past. Um, you know, racism is something of the past. Uh, oppression uh, you know, we feel like we live in this utopia, but we do not. For example, when I think about the uh, Native American boarding schools in Canada and the United States, um, I think about the children who are currently being separated from their pa families at the border, uh, the U.S.-Mexico border. We have been here before. We have seen the federal government separate families, indigenous families, uh, were subject to that. In World War II, we saw that with the internment camps of Japanese citizens here in the United States, and we're seeing it again today. We have a history of separating families. Why? Because the doctrine of Christian discovery teaches that this white culture is superior to all others, and therefore we know better than any other culture around the world. You mentioned missing and murdered indigenous women. That still is taking place today. There's an incredible movie out right now over uh, that is a portrayal of the book by uh, David Gann called Killers of the Flower Moon. Martin Scorsese uh, has done a brilliant job putting that movie together. A lot of criticism on the movie, but the basic story is simple, and that is there was a time in eastern Oklahoma where oil magnets orchestrated the murder of indigenous women and men to gain their land rights so that they could make more money in pursuing oil for their companies. We think that stories of the past, but it's happening today. You look at human trafficking around this country, and especially in North America, up from Central America, it is at an all-time high. Our women are in danger, especially women of color uh, from indigenous communities. And so these issues are still alive and well today, and they're being fueled by this attitude and, I, and concept of doctrine of Christian discovery, and we have to get away from it. And so you know, when I hear the personal stories in the interviews that we were so fortunate to listen to this weekend, uh, again, I'm heartbroken, I'm infuriated, but at dinner, I'm also inspired. I'm inspired to leave here and do more, to stand up and speak out uh, regarding the doctrine of Christian discovery and to try to fight for a more equitable and just world for all people. That is quite powerful, um, and I, I do agree that, you know, the stories of resilience and people fighting against it do provide hope, but the problem is daunting, and I think that 
there's a lot of hesitation towards talking about a document written over 600 years ago. But at the end of the day, if you don't find the doctrine of discovery being placed in perverting U.S. law disturbing, you should really consider why. Mm. We have a country's built on the separation of church and state, and there's a reason that we do that. It's because it should be a choice for what you want to practice in your religion. And it infuriates me that so many people are very willing to talk about how they were called to a religion, but don't give other people the opportunity to be called to their religion. Mm. Because that's such an intimate moment. And we, we talked a lot about spirituality and religion. And I think that, you know, making that distinction is an important step towards getting rid of the doctrine of discovery because spirituality manifests in so many different ways. And when your spirituality does show itself, that's when you find your religion, you find how you practice. Um, and so that's a lot of the issues with white evangelicalism, like we've talked about, is it forces that religion on you without having any kind of spiritual aspect mm. and then some most times your your spirituality is beaten and cut scraped and diminished until it fits into this cookie cutter shape that was never meant for you mm. um, and so some of those stories are quite heartbreaking and that's why we're talking about this document is because it is a perversion of u.s law and the fact that it's within our court system should make people angry. But if it doesn't, you need to figure out why. Right. Um, and so I, I want to talk about now um, kind of our, our lasting messages uh, coming out of this conference. Um, because I think for me, it's quite startling that the doctrine of discovery is not like realized within U.S. law. And that's something I've always kind of come to terms with being somebody who studied a lot in indigenous law. But I also realized this week that our academics in the United States is so American centric. Yeah, it is. And so talking to the people with international problems puts me in a headspace to where I'm going to go explore at danger indigenous um, peoples across the world. Um, and I did this a little bit in college. I know uh, Professor Miller mentioned the Sami people in the Nordic states in Russia and how they are fighting for its place at the table and a right to cross borders because of their cultural practices. Um, I know that the Udage people of Russia have had longstanding problems with the Russian government encroaching on their land, trying to take out the last tiger sanctuary in Russia. And even though they have historical roots and are one of the oldest indigenous uh, peoples in the world, the only reason Putin decided to not take their land is because he liked the tigers. Mm. And it's just wow. those stories are so prevalent. And sometimes we need to step out of this U.S. centric voting or U.S. centric political idea, because as much as we do have problems, I had a professor in college who would tell us Native American people in the United States do have issues that we need to solve. But at the end of the day, this is the best situation for indigenous people in the world. 
and we should take advantage of that take advantage of our ability to now more so than ever express our sovereign right to govern and our sovereign right to reclaim and what that means is doing that within our nation and internationally so what are your lasting that is my lasting um idea i'm going to take away from this conference i'm curious on what you're thinking you know, I spoke to uh, one of the panels uh, during the conference, and this question was posed to me uh, in another vein. But I told the individual who asked the question, one of the things that I am committing the rest of my life to is countering the idea of conversion to conquest. I am a person of faith, in particular, practice my faith within the Christian tradition, even though I have a lot of problems with the term Christianity anymore. I consider myself a Jesus follower because a majority of evangelical Christians these days really don't want to have anything to do with Jesus because he's problematic for them, because he talks so much about inclusion, love, and justice. Uh, They talk about other parts of the Bible, but they certainly don't talk about Jesus. So with that said, I am attempting to counter the whole idea of conversion leading to conquest. Because if you think about the idea of Christian conversion, 500 years ago when the Doctrine of Discovery was uh, established, even to today, if you were to follow that type of logic, conversion to conquest leads to dominance. A dominant culture above all else. And that's why you have... Uh, the explorers and the colonists and the slavers uh, throughout the last 500 years of our existence uh, based upon a Christian belief because it was all about conversion to Christianity, conquest of culture in order to dominate, which means to take land, to take resources, and to live above all else. Therefore, I have taken away from this weekend a renewed inspiration of fighting that good fight, an attempt to call out this doctrine that has been so devastating to indigenous cultures from around the world. I contend, Tanner, that the Gospels in particular, Jesus even more specifically, would denounce this idea of conversion. You read the Gospels, Jesus never talks about being converted All he says is he offers an invitation to come follow him, to learn how to live a spiritual and ethical life. Guess what? You don't have to abandon your culture. You don't have to abandon your identity to follow Jesus. And that's one of the things that I think resonate, could resonate globally around the world to say, you know what? We all want to live an ethical life. You can be a Muslim. You can be a Buddhist. You can be a Christian. But you don't have to abandon your personhood, your identity, your culture, because that makes you who you are. And so I leave this conference with a renewed spirit of trying to fight what my dear colleague up in the Pacific Northwest, Christian spiritualist Lenore Three Stars, is advocating for a theology of wholeness to meet individuals where they are, to respect their personhood and to say, I see you, I hear you, I recognize 
and understand and hear the problems you're facing. So let me help you in your journey to become whole. Not that I have the answers, not that I have the formula or solutions, but I want to relate to you so that we can be better humans together in this world. And to me, that is the idea of indigenous existence, the recognition of the symbiotic relationship we have with each other and within the world. Mm The symbiotic relationship that we've talked so much about this weekend is something that is going to ring true for a long time for me. Yeah. Um, being able to be in balance, knowing that the Haudenosaunee are the reason we have a lot of the equitable systems in our government. And that's also a story that we learned this weekend that needs to be taught more. Um, but we need to really pay attention to these indigenous principles because you just pointed out that we can learn a lot about spirituality, the teachings of Jesus or any other religion, Islam, Judaism, um, Hinduism, Buddhism, from indigenous ways of life and understanding that we can be in a symbiotic relationship, being productive by as individuals and to identify, you know, those places that may need more symbiotic dynamics, um, There was a quote from Stephen Newcomb in his keynote speech this weekend of talking about the colonizers. Name one place that is better off before they touched it. And I can't think of very many. I can't think at all. There are moments of charity and moments of human interaction that may ring true to who we're trying to be, but there's nothing that can bring back what we were. So we're going to work towards reclaiming a lot of these indigenous values, and I think it would be productive to take those with us in our life. Um, And I would like to thank uh, the Religious Origins of White Supremacy Conference this week for having us at Syracuse University. And this uh, thing happens every year, so keep an eye out and definitely try to attend if you can because we had an absolute ball. Uh, I've really enjoyed putting this podcast together with you, specifically, Tanner. All of our sponsors, thank you. All of the staff here at Syracuse University have been great. But I have to admit, as a dad, I just really enjoyed hanging out with you. It was all right for me. (laughs) All right. Signing off. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Doctrine of Christian Discovery, recorded at the 2023 Religious Origins of White Supremacy Conference at Syracuse University in New York. This podcast is produced in collaboration between Good Faith Media, Syracuse University, and the Indigenous Values Initiative. I'm Tanner Randall for Good Faith Media. Our executive producers are Mitch Randall, Good Faith Media, Philip P. Arnold, and Sandy Big Tree of the Indigenous Values Initiative, and Adam D.J. Brett of Syracuse University and the American Indian Law Alliance. Our producer is Cliff Vaughn. Our editor is David Pang. Our music comes from Pond5. Production assistance provided by the American Indian Law Alliance. To learn more, go to doctrineofdiscovery.org.